to the Black Moms. What up, everybody? I'm your boy, Zach. I'm here with my homie, Sin, and we are the Black Minds. Today, we have a special guest, Tasha Elaine. How you doing, Tasha? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, wonderful. I can't complain. So, tell us about yourself, Tasha. Tell us about your right. school, your major. Tell, tell us every. Tell us. Give us a little bio. I'm interested. <laughs> Well, hello, everyone. My name is Tashi Lane, formerly known as Mixed Tara. I am the program director at WKNJ 90.3 FM Cougar Radio. I am also the host of On The Mind, which is currently on Spotify and Anchor FM. I'm a journalism major with a minor in sociology. And let me tell you, even though 2020 is being us down, I'm living my best life right now. <laughs> I can't even hold you. Like, I'm growing. And I'm thriving with it. I'm feeling good. So I want to ask you a, qu a quick question about your show. Why? How did you come up with the name On The Mind? Like, what, what inspired that? So my freshman year, I was co-hosting with Trey Vibes, which was with um, Chris Trey and Johnny Martinez at WKNJ in fall 2020. No, it was fall 20. Yeah, it was. What was the year? Damn, it was fall 2017 yeah it was 2017 I was like uh I was real young but they had like a party type of segment going on but then they wanted to take it down with some jazz and they had like a discussion and within that discussion we were kind of talking about like philosophical stuff we were talking about like things that you know would be considered like 3 a.m thoughts and Devin was overseeing the radio station at the time and he overheard the conversation. And he Shout out to like, Devin Hour. Yeah, <laughs> for real. <laughs> Devin Wilson is that dude. You got to check him out for real. But um, he overheard the conversation and he was like, would you like a show? And I just got in there. Like I was just in there for like maybe two weeks max. And I was kind of like Jim Bricks. I was like, oh, man. Uh, OK, so I went with on the mind philosophical conversations about the world about people mostly like on an internet basis so like you know online cultures and communities and just placing a spotlight on the world that we don't see every single day okay okay so what made you wanted to do podcasting in the first place like what, what got you in that communications field that is a funny long story but i'm gonna try to make it short um uh, tell us <laughs> <laughs> So when I was a junior in high school, I was really into theater. I really thought I was going to like go into the arts. And at the time, I was kind of like building myself into becoming like a full-fledged artist. I wanted to declare my major in the fine arts. And I was always like a perfectionist. And I was always like really risky with it. I always wanted to like push my limits. And I ended up hurting myself. And I got a concussion. <laughs> and um within that time, like, you know, you couldn't like call nobody. You couldn't like look at the TV screen. I couldn't use my laptop and I was lonely. So I ended up live streaming. And when I started live streaming, I was kind of like getting used to being in front of the camera and like, you know, recording and talking to just the masses, like complete strangers across the world. And um, when Trump's presidency hit, I saw like, you know, in real time how it was affecting people. 
And I had people reaching out to me, you know, whether it was in the LGBT community, whether it was just minorities saying like, yo, come on here. Like, we need your voice. And I didn't think it was that important, to be honest with you. I was only like 16, 17. And I didn't think I even had that opportunity to be like that or to be seen like that to other people. So I already had that, you know, under my belt. So when it came to podcasting, it was just removing the fact of someone seeing your face. They can still hear you. They can still have your impact, but they can really feel you in that sense. So it was almost like a transition from live streaming to podcasting kind of seamlessly a little. Yeah. So did you have any like uh, any like uh, people that, you know, you grew up with or any inspirations from other people that, you know, did podcasts, you know, for a very long time or anything like that or? Not at all. I didn't have any um, family members that was doing what I was doing. I was always on the internet and my parents, they encouraged me. Like, you know, they were obviously like nervous about the fact that like, yo, you're talking to strangers. Like you could be talking to someone who could potentially yeah. hurt you. Mm -hmm. You could be talking to someone that, you know, would just wouldn't want you to be who you are for whatever reason. And I was aware of it. I've had my fair share of situations on the internet. But um, it never stopped me because when you connect with people that way, you can see what it does. It does more beyond your control and beyond your own influence. And it became really personal to me. So, yeah. Now, have you had any like real fans that come to you and talk about your show? Like, yo, I really love On The Mind. And if so, like, how did that whole situation play out? Um. Within my years of live streaming, I never called it on the mind. I always kind of just put myself there and was just talking about anything that really struck me. And to have like people who were considered themselves like day ones, like they would tell themselves like, yo, I've been watching her since she was like 16 or when she just joined when she was 15 or, you know, they could come back like years later and say, wow, like you've grown so much and like look at look at where you are now like you're you're building like you're becoming the person that you thought maybe you couldn't have become through your efforts and having people really coming out of their own shells and the main thing about on the mind i want to give the aspect of where people have the opportunity to make themselves either known through you know declaring their name declaring their username really showing themselves or to remain anonymous just to speak their truth because you would be surprised, like, in areas, even within the United States, where we're pretty open, like, American culture, we can kind of just do what we want. We kind of have that, like, vibe. We're like, yo, we're the land of free. Let's be free. But for some people within their own towns, they feel like, yo, I can't be who I want to be. But when I'm here, I can. I could talk about the things that I'm into. I could talk about, you know, what's going on in my life and to actually feel seen and that's the biggest thing about the internet. We're all so conscious about being seen and being heard. So when you're around that atmosphere, it only opens more doors to possibilities, not just for yourself, but for other people. So now, like, do you have any like possible like or future ventures with On the Mind? Like, what are you looking forward to doing more more so in the in the future? 
I would love to interview not just everyday people because we all got a story. And that's the thing. That's kind of what has driven me towards my degree in journalism. Like we all got something to say, you know, but I would love to interview people where we kind of know them. Like we all know them under whatever basis, whether it's like social media or even if they're celebrities and to actually let them say for the record, like, this is who I am. You know, I may be doing this for marketing reasons. I may be doing it for the culture, for the art, but this is who I am. And for that to just kind of be taken into effect. Okay. Thank you so much for that, Tasha. So now we're going to move on. Now, as everybody, well, people that's listening, Tasha and I are friends. We had past conversations about our backgrounds and things of that nature. Now, you confide into me that you have a white father and a black mother. Can you please tell us what was that experience like growing up as a quote unquote mulatto child? <laughs> um, oh, well, shout out to my parents. First of all, I love y'all so much and everything that you guys do for me. I'm really blessed. But um. Having a black mom, I'm going to start with my mom first because she's my world and she's my everything. Um, she has taught me that, like, you know, early on, the parenting styles of both of my parents are very different. And it doesn't mean that, you know, anyone's right or wrong, but it's just to show, like, the individuality of who they are as people, you know, before they became my parents. But growing up with, like interracial parents like having that interracial family um I was exposed to the best of both worlds in my opinion because like my mom for example she's exposed me to just black culture black conversations black art and just teaching me you know what's important as a black woman and you know what to take what to not take and to just really like grow into who I am like she tells me all the time because growing up um, I'm pretty sure like other mixed kids, like they've experienced like a little bit of form of like, you know, am I good enough? Because you're told by the world, you know, like if you're black enough, you know, like or if you're white enough and like just being in these communities where you're constantly kind of being nitpicked at. But she always told me that, you know, regardless of what I do or what I am, I'm black, you know, like I came from her womb, a black woman like I'm black. And, you know, to love myself as such and to love my hair, to love me thoroughly inside and out. And my father, when I mean like the parenting styles are different, like, you know, my mom on one hand, she was not blunt and harsh, but she told me, you know, the reality of what the world will see me as. And for my father, he always kind of told me like, you know, before you're a race or you're a color, you know, you're Tashi Lane, you're that's you like you're, you're not supposed to be chaining yourself to these labels and they definitely butted heads with that <laughs> like my mom was kind of like you know you can't you can't say that but it's like I got where he was coming from because of where his stance was it's like he was a white man who grew up in Plainfield who's had black friends who's exposed himself to black culture and you know it was kind of like an ally Sometimes he has his moments, you know, but like he sees, you know, what it is. And he's like, I don't think you should live like that. You know, like you shouldn't have to. But yeah, my, my parents, 
they did what they had to do when it came to like my growth, like in a racial identity sense. So, okay. Now, before I ask you more questions, you know, about mulatto, I want to give everybody a little educational definition of the word mulatto. I did my research. Mulatto is a racial classification to refer people of mixed white and black ancestry. It was first, its first known, its first known use was in 1591. The term mulatto is derived from the Spanish and Portuguese mulatto, which is spelled M-U-L-A-T-O. So my question for you, Tasha, what are your thoughts on the, the whole situation of, what are your thoughts on mulatto children in slavery? Like, how do you think it was for them personally? At that at that period of time. Well, I gotta tell you, even though I wasn't there, right? <laughs> I could only imagine what it felt like to be looked at in the ways that most mixed people are looked at today. Cause just like with black people, certain things haven't changed over time. And when it comes to mixed people and the word mulatto, it's like a mixed thing, like within itself as a construct, because Personally, for me, mulatto is so dehumanizing to hear and to be associated as because it's deriving from the word mule, which is an animal. So you're not even being seen as human. Right. And um, it's just I don't know. I'm not I'm not the type of person to take it and to kind of like reconstruct it into something different and to like empower myself within it because it wasn't used for empowerment and it was used mm-hmm. to label you beneath being human right just like our black families so mm-hmm. um it's like it's like calling you a half ass yes like yeah uh, like you're half animal some shit like that like yeah it, like it, you're uh, high. basically you're high basically exactly. yeah. yeah it's wild it's, it's a crazy term but like do you feel that some of the the because you know a lot of mulatto children were born from having not all of them. I think because at the time, black women were really in relationships with white men and then white men was in relationships. And then, wait, and white women was in relationship with black men. So it was situations where sometimes in slavery that the white slave master would rape the black woman and then they would have the quote unquote mulatto child. But do you feel that, Do you how, how would you feel if history was never like that? Like if it was, if that would have never happened, how you think it would have been? If that makes sense. In the context you're asking, are you saying if there wasn't a hatred within the action of creating like mixed children, like how would I feel about it? Yeah. Um, I feel like because this could even go for everything that we see today with interracial dating and interracial couples is that. You got to understand, like, when it comes to the culture aspect of it, are you doing it because you're actually accepting this person past the vision, past the view of them being their ethnicity? Because I could even compare it to how right now, right? We're seeing it with, like, 90 Day Fiance. We're seeing it, like, on Instagram. We see, like, people from other ethnicities, especially white women, who date Black men solely for the reason of sexualizing them. Not for the reason of creating families and infusing cultures together and having that educational understanding about them. It's about, you know, this fetishization, 
which also stems from the creation of like creating mixed children. It's like, how many times have we seen on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, just like the fetishization and the glamorization of mixed children because of beauty standards, because of how it looks to just you know, like the right amount of curls in their hair, you know, the right amount of tan in their complexion, like it's dehumanizing. So if it were to be within the context of straight up love, acceptance, respect, appreciation, cultural appreciation, then it would be immaculate <laughs> for people to come together and to love each other and to just share that, you know, to its fullest capacity. But that's what but you know. that will happen though, because you're gonna have the that that few that small percentage of people that is gonna fuck everything up. To be honest, so do you think do you think like this can like really happen? You mean that it's it's shown you know it's, it's shown you know in the past and it's shown now and stuff. But do you think this can like you know seriously happen or something like that? Like fully love somebody instead of just sexualizing you know somebody based on you know the color of their skin and everything. You think it can happen? Yeah, I can. Because there needs to be that understanding. There needs to be that conversation for the most part, like, you know, saying like, all right, what you here for? Not just because of like, all right, the dating and like trying to figure out like if they're right for you in that basic context. But like, when you look at me, do you see me? Do you see me as a person? Do you not just see a black man or a black woman because that matters, you know, like, and that's something that I feel as though, like, especially within the black community, we've had conversations like that. And I feel like sometimes we've been mistaken for, you know, having like anti-white conversations or commentary when it's truly just stemming from a place of, are you reciting? Are you holding your company with someone that respects you, loves you, appreciates you for all that you are, and not just simply what they think you could bring to the table within that one single context, sexuality, like, because that matters. But for that vision to be had, like for that vision to come to the forefront, there needs to be that understanding because you can get caught up fast. We've seen it before, you know what I'm saying? So yep. it's like, there needs to be that conversation of, okay, we could share some customs. I could teach you some things. I could show you like what I'm about, what me and my family's about, the type of beliefs and values that we hold and why it matters to us. But you got to be open for that, for that to happen <laughs> and vice versa. So I think that's what really needs to come into play for that to happen. Okay, so my next question for you, Tasha, is um, <laughs> my next question for you, Tasha, is like how so what was it like, you know, growing up, you know, as a biracial woman like bringing bringing another man or another woman in, like that's like from a different race. Like, what was that like? You know, introducing them to your parents. So, what was that like? Um. <laughs> so to be honest with you, um, one, I was never nervous about it. I guess I was more nervous about what could have happened on the end of the person that I was dating because. I'm paranoid. Like, I got anxiety. Sometimes stuff happens, and I always feel as if I have to prepare myself, right? But thankfully, when my ex, um, I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning him, <laughs> but my ex, he was from a different... Go subscribe if you're listening, ex. Yeah. I mean, we, we're good. We're good now in communication, thank goodness. <laughs> 
but he was a different ethnicity. He was Asian. And um, he came over and he met my mom like when I was moving in on campus and stuff. And I was more nervous about, you know, maybe the awkward jokes or something or something that could have been said where we got to side eye you real quick and be like, okay. But everything went really well. My mom, she's a really open person. I mean, clearly I came to be, you know, (laughs) but like she was she was cool with it. And it was it was fine. It's like when we had those conversations, it's like she really vibed with my ex, like hearing him speak the way that he would carry himself. It was like this understanding. Even still to this day, she tells me she's like, you know, if there was anyone you were to go back to, like you could like, you know, maybe if you want. But it's like she approved. But it was because of that respect that was shared, that was understood. Like we like, I'm not the type of person to make racist jokes. I'm just not. I'm never going to get to that comfortable space because I think that's disrespectful. But even things like that were understood and, you know, taken into account within the relationship. So if I, if I, um, if it's okay for me to ask, what about the father? What about your father? So what are your father's thoughts on him? So I never told my father because we don't communicate, but... If I were to tell him, I think, because <laughs> my father's crazy, I think he probably would have been accepting, but there would have been some like slip of the tongue type stuff where it's like, oh, so that's what you're into? Like, you know, you going across the world with your heart. Okay, Tosh, like I see you. But my parents, they know that like my heart does not discriminate. Like I've dated so many different kinds of people. I've had crushes on so many different types of people. So they already know, like, the possibility of me bringing home someone of a different ethnicity and background is is probably to happen. But, yeah, they're, they're cool people. They don't move like that. <laughs> hey, that's great. That's very great. Have you ever been, like, picked on in school growing up for being, quote, unquote, mulatto, having a mixed race, having interracial parents? Like, have anybody ever, like, discredited you of being black? Like, oh, she's not a sister. She's not a real sister, you know. Maybe behind my back, maybe, but never to my face. Because um, what's interesting is that me and my mom talked about that the other day, how for the majority, a lot of my friends were Black. And when I was talking to her about it, like really just kind of picking my childhood brain with it, um, it was because um growing up when I made friends I kind of gravitated towards people that looked like my family and most of them were not black but the majority were so most of my friends kind of stayed that way as I got older and especially like when I was in high school I just had black friends um I didn't have like too much of diversity with my friends but the ones where they were people of color or they were white um it was just easy going there was never really like much of prejudice with like you know my identity there were times definitely where you know sometimes they would question me with like my music taste because i listen to everybody like i love y'all i know I, I know you're a bts <laughs> super fan like OD yeah, I crazy. Love <laughs> you love k-pop like od crazy so how was it with the with the family on your father's side you know, was you ever, did you ever feel left out? Like, because you wasn't, you know, you, you're, like, I keep saying you quote unquote mulatto, like, did they push you aside and disregard you? And if so, how did that feel? 
so my father's side of the family they're ukrainian so you know they the thing about ukrainian people like they were oppressed people too so when i learned about the history i was like oh so y'all getting it too like <laughs> they're not you know same same type of deal okay so but my family on that side um there were definitely like especially when it came to trump's presidency there were some moments where you know like at the dinner table we would have to like take a moment to just explain why things were the way they were like there was this one conversation with my grandparents we were eating dinner and it was during the time when trump was talking about all left and all right being very fine people and it was during like the charlottesville um virginia uh neo-nazi march and we were watching it on tv it was live and they were kind of wondering, like, so what's so bad about this? Like, what's the problem here? So I was a little dumbfounded because I was like, <laughs> it's kind of obvious. But, you know, so I tried to, like, explain to them what exactly that situation meant and why it was taken the way that it was taken within the media. And they were still not quite getting it. So at some point, the TV had to get paused and my father had to put his fork and knife down and kind of tell them and let them know because your grandchild is black you know that's why it matters these people they may look at us and be like no it's not a problem it's not a big deal we're not the issue but we'll probably look at tasha and be like she is <laughs> because she's half black and half white so things like that it kind of exposed me to how within white families there really needs to be that conversation not just because maybe you yourself may be black or a person of color but because they don't get it and it's not to say that no white family doesn't get it but it's not something they think about and it just got to be broken down it got to be understood and why it impacts other lives and they never cast me away but there were definitely moments where i had to let them know like all right can you not invite the racist family member to the house because I get uncomfortable. I know you get uncomfortable and you want to brush it aside for the sake of family. But, you know, put your foot down with injustice like that. Don't just let it slide because of your comfort and you want to maintain the peace. There will be no peace if that were to be, you know, taken into effect. So it's that consideration aspect. Now, how like how did you know the story behind did your mom ever bring your father home to her house, like to meet her parents? And if so, like, did she tell you how that whole situation happened? Like, how, how you know, tell, tell, tell us the story. <laughs> I, I really want to know. <laughs> um, All the time, right? Like, my mom's family, our family is huge. Shout out to every single one of you because I know my mom will be sharing this podcast. <laughs> but, I appreciate um, that, mom. I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> I love my mom's family like I resonate with them so much because I grew up with the cousins we got like photos which we like to laugh about sometimes because like you know my complexion is very light compared to my cousins and my relatives so sometimes we would look at the photos and be like oh look at you you got a little tan that summer I look relate to you. that because I'm the blackest out of all of mine <laughs> for real and it's like that's love though like we look yeah. at that and we're like that's love 
but my mom she used to bring like my family members to the house a lot like for holidays and stuff because sometimes my mom kind of felt like oh I gotta I gotta bring some flavor up in here I gotta bring some like comedy I gotta bring these aunts and uncles that don't know how to act but we will have a good time so and it was well appreciated and that's what started to the um the traditions in my father's family to have family over to have the house filled up with food and people and drinks and having a good time. But my mom always incorporated like her family with his family. And I used to love looking at like the videos and photos of just us together. And I used to love watching their wedding video because you would see people who were alive and who are now passed away just intermingling with one another and just having a good time and appreciating that love. So, but they were always accepted. They kind of intermingled and had a good time and it was real cute. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my question for you, Tasha, is during your, your tenure with, uh, in theater and everything, so do you feel as though you being you know, a light-skinned uh, biracial woman, do you feel as though that you was giving a, like a higher, a higher like leading role or like the main role based on the color of your skin or anything like that? Um, I wasn't that high up on the ranking with theater. I didn't get that far. I done busted my head on the ground, <laughs> but it's possible. They have said like, you are Hollywood's black woman and it's, yeah. it's terrible. It's like, no, we have a plethora of shades. We have a plethora of talent. We have a plethora of actors and actresses who should be within these roles and not just specifically for the look factor of it all. So, okay. So like, once again, during your tenure uh, in the theater, so what were your, what were you playing as? What were you portraying? What characters were you portraying as? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I loved the characters that had like enough wiggle room to just play around with. Cause I liked the characters where if you could just wild out a little bit, <laughs> you could act up a little bit, yell, all of that. I like to play with it because everything within theater is really like objective. You could take a role, you could take the lines and make it to what you feel as though it could deem to be. So I liked doing that, like with the exercises. But most of my time I did like script writing and I liked doing characters that had enough wiggle room to where race wasn't the vocal point within these roles, within the scenes that were taking place. And this delivery could be just as impactful without it. So that's where most of my time with theater was for the most part. Now, my first question to you, Tosh, is do you think cancel culture is beneficial? Um... See, I have mixed feelings about cancel culture because sometimes it could be very effective, but then there's other mm -hmm. moments where it feels as though the internet will do the outmost effort to just dig up like six year evidence for nothing, like literally to prove such an empty point and destroy careers and lives for the most part. Zach, what you think? Repeat the question one more time so I could give you the best answer I can. <laughs> Basically, what I said is, do you think cancel culture is beneficial? Sometimes. It really is. Sometimes it's really stupid because people get canceled over the littlest things because, like, people got to understand celebs are, like, are humans, too. So they make mistakes. Sometimes people, like, you're going to say something stupid eventually in your life that is probably ignorant, etc. And we have to understand that people are humans and, like I said, they're going to make mistakes. But 
cancel culture is a positive thing as well because people really do be clowns out here, especially celebs, and they really right. do need like a, a a self a self check. So yeah, it's I'm I'm more of a, I'm more of in, in the middle of it, but that also falls into like going back to the the interracial situation. I want to ask you, Tasha, like I should ask you this before. How do you feel about um? Was you ever in a situation where a dark skinned woman was getting disrespected in your presence? Like as far as was they sexualizing you and degrading the dark skinned woman? Was you ever in that situation before? I hope that makes sense. <laughs> oh no, that does make sense. Um, no, I've never been in that situation, but there's been many times in conversation where someone would say something real slick under their mouth about dark skinned women in the efforts to uplift light skinned women just because the presence of light skinned women were there to kind of like validate them and to say, like, oh, well, your beauty is top tier. It's like, you know, look at you. But the thing about it, and this is like my little PSA to like other light-skinned mixed-race women, when you hear stuff like that, don't just take in a kiki and be like, oh, thank you, because you are not defending your women too. You are a part of that listing of women, and to just let it slide is to let those comments still live on and to let these ideologies of dark skin to not be beauty, because it always has been. And that's why, you know, and I'm sorry, I'm a little shady when it comes with it. But like social media is really showing us how these these type of conversations and those comments are so empty because they could say that one day. But the next day they're tanning the shit out of their skin. They're plumping the hell out their lips. They're making every effort to make themselves look like the women that they love to hate. And I don't get it. I think it's like a sick infatuation and it's ugly. That within itself is ugly. Yes, just like I was Gary say, if 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 us black if us a uh, black men keep on you know dehumanizing the green like dark darker skin tone uh, women and stuff, basically we're normalizing it. We put light skinned women like giving them light skin uh, privilege and we're putting them on the pedestal. So we round to uh, my topic about cancel culture is the title itself. It's it sounds very toxic and everything. Do you think if we change the title from cancel culture? to like accountability culture or you know we just tell these i like that i like that or like higher figures like hey maybe we should just hold just just be more accountable just you know own up to it don't have you don't have to like keep on explaining yourself like oh this is what i did and everything else we play hey i fucked up and yo mom my apologies do you think that 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 uh the title should be changed do you think maybe that's why cancel culture is so toxic because of the title of the uh the title of, you know, cancel culture? I think cancel culture has a lot of potential. I think, just like you said, it could hold people accountable, especially those within positions of power, like celebrities, to reflect on who they are and who they choose to continue to be. And, you know, I almost feel as if sometimes things like cancel culture can fall upon deaf, like, deaf ears because... You could see these people and sometimes there's like a rotation of these people who get canceled like almost every month, every year, and they still don't learn. So I almost feel as if cancel culture has the potential to show these people that you need to own up to it or else it's a wrap. We can't keep giving chances. We can't keep overlooking it. And we as a society need to take accountability upon that, too. 
we can't just keep with these cycles of trending these names and saying oh yeah they're done for like that video that they put out oh that song they put out like oh yeah there it's a rap but then we choose to forget about it we choose to not continue that cycle of officially canceling their toxicity you know so i think the accountability because i think for our generation, we're becoming like full-fledged researchers. I think we're becoming people where when we find those receipts, when we find those wrongdoings, and then we find more reasons as to why that wrongdoing should be shown, we got the power. We know this. So it just got to go full circle, but it got to be a full effort. Now, do you feel like for artists specifically, no, we, we, we can we can conclude actors and other people, you know, celebrities, do we can we separate their art from like the actual person like for for a good example r kelly can we separate his music from the monster that he actually is Cause i know a lot of people they really yeah. don't fuck. no no let me i'm gonna keep it 100 i'm gonna keep it 100 with you people really don't fuck with r kelly but it's the music that they love so do you feel that we have to stop listening to the music or it's okay we can still listen to the music but we don't, we don't, we don't rock with you still, or you, you have, you no. have to, or you have to be stern, like you just, you have to. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. What about, what about uh, Bill Cosby? You know what I mean? He has Fat Albert, Different World, all these other, you know, you know, iconic, you know, black TV shows and stuff like that. But the personal life is just utter. He was a straight up monster for that too. So how do we, you know what I mean? So, what are your thoughts on that, uh, Tasha? Let me tell you, I just had an argument with somebody about this. <laughs> and the thing about it is that you have to understand where the art is coming from, from the artists. When we reflect on the most famous influential artists of each decade, we soon discover where the origins of said art is stemming from. And the thing about the R. Kelly series that came out last year, Surviving R. Kelly, there was way too many receipts and evidence showing where those songs stemmed from and it wasn't an attack on his character it was an attack on where the intentional feedback and content that made r kelly who he is suffer into who he is now and i almost feel like it's an injustice for music lovers to see where this art is coming from and seeing what created it into the way that it is and to say but it's so good like why would i let it go it's like, this is where it's stemming from. It is stemming from trauma. It is stemming from hurt. It is stemming from pain. And it's stemming from something that we're all way too familiar with, but we're not willing to let go. And when it comes to the artists, it's like, we got to hold them accountable. If this is what you were thinking about when you were recording Bump and Grind, maybe we need to reevaluate why we even given you the position that you have now. Because just to refresh the memory, Bump and Grind was created while he was genuinely bumping and grinding against a minor in the studio. He was married to um Aaliyah when he dropped the twelve play, twelve play album, I believe. I think it was twelve play. I don't know, but either either or, yeah. Like his music is is very scary because like the if you listen listen to the lyrics, it matches his situation. Mm -hmm. So I, I absolutely one hundred percent agree with you. But what are your thoughts on this, son? Say that again, man. What are your thoughts on the whole situation? Do you feel like we have to separate? You feel like we could still listen to like a a canceled person's music? Or we have to cancel them completely, including their art, like oh, their shows, music, etc. Um, well, to be honest, first off, it depends on how 
how big of the action, you know what I mean, the person that got canceled, what they did. You know what I mean? It really comes down to what they did. And second, it's like, I, I, I oh, you really put me on the spot. You put me on the spot. You can say um, honest opinion. You, you can tell. If you want to say yes, you, you can say yes. If you want to say yes, if you want to say yes, you can say yes. Say what you feel. Yeah, I'll say yeah. I'll say yeah. I'll say yeah. I'll say yeah. Okay. But why, though? Uh, I'm trying to ask you why. I mean, to be honest, it's like, okay. Oh, gosh. This is... You don't have an answer? If you don't have an answer, we can move on. Yeah, we <laughs> That's the first time you put me on the spot. First time you put me on the spot. <laughs> Nah, nah, it's what- oh, you got to see what type of magnitude they were screwing up within because if it's you know if they could be saved then you could see what you got to do like um i'm trying to think of a situation like when a celebrity or someone got canceled and it's like well we could backtrack we could kind of like give them a little bit of a chance um see i can't really think of like any american celebrities because when we screw up we screw up but bad yeah (laughs) oh i got an example so i watched eddie murphy's first ever um live stand-up comedy special on netflix and he like his first like whole section of the um comedy was him basically making fun of gay people and when i was watching it i was seeing that like okay within that era within that time like that was probably the most easiest joke to throw out on stage and to like really get laughs. And at that time it was acceptable. It was kind of like normalized to joke about, you know, LGBTQ people. And even within, you know, the section, he was like, oh, but I have gay friends and like, you know, I don't have anything against gay people, but they be doing this. And it was his first special. He was probably nervous. I will give him a pass in that regard because of all of those, you know, circumstances and, you know, details and aspects within it. But otherwise, you know, the things that we've seen in 2020, it's it's hard, like especially with the um, Doja Cat situation. That was a voluntary move on her part. Oh, I'm done with her. Like, I'm completely I got a bone to pick with you, by the way, Tasha. What's Hold up? On. You posted Doja Cat on your story. Gassing what? her. Gassing her like about a month ago. It was after oh, the war show. I know what you're talking about. It was the outfit I was gassing about. I was not gassing about her. Okay. You scared yeah, she had like this. I said, I'm gonna get her when we, when she come on. I'm gonna I'm get her for that one. Oh, you be ready. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was looking at her outfit. I was like, damn, okay. that's fire. Cause she had like an icy thing going on. Oh, yeah, because nah. don't get me wrong, she bad, but I just don't I don't rock with her. <laughs> not me either. Don't get yeah, but it just especially yeah. her. Being a um, mixed race woman and being in the spaces that she was in, right? I had a problem with that. For her her to do some some wild shit like that, that was unacceptable. I don't think you could come back from that. Very, 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 very tone deaf. But Mm -hmm. um, that's all for what we have tonight, y'all. I appreciate everybody that listened. Make sure you go subscribe, spread the word. Tasha, I want to thank you for coming through. This was. This 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 was a treat. I'm so happy mm-hmm. you came through. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. It, I can. Yeah, is there anything you want to shout out before we get up out of here? 
Yes, make sure you guys take care of yourselves. Make sure you have those important conversations because they are not going to end after 2020. Um, check in with your friends. Check in with yourself mentally. And make sure you stream the Black Minds everywhere. I appreciate that. You want to shout out On The Minds? When can we expect an episode from you? A collaboration? A collaboration, oh, absolutely. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. The Black Minds and On The Minds? Oh, I love it. On The Minds with Black Minds. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we got a little. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but is anything, like, when, when can we get... The first episode, well, you've been doing it, like you said, been doing it for a while, but when can we get some new uploads from you? It's definitely coming soon. Um, I'm going to get a plethora of people. It's going to be almost like a game where it's like, all right, you're going to have so many voices, so many questions being asked. It's basically going to put a spotlight on the internet that we know today. So okay. it's coming. Okay. I'm excited. Like I said, once again, thank you, Tasha, for coming through. Guys, make sure you follow us on Instagram at the Black Minds underscore. Wait, <laughs> at the underscore Black Minds underscore. I repeat, follow us on Instagram at the underscore Black Minds underscore. You can also follow us on Facebook at Zaxon Bree. I repeat, you can follow us on Facebook at Zaxon Bree. Capital S, capital Z. I'm messing up today, y'all. Capital Z, <laughs> capital S, base capital B. And you could check out all of our content because we be posting some educational things and informative things. Once again, thank y'all. I love y'all. Stay black and happy Thanksgiving, even though we don't. That's another story. Bye, y'all. <laughs> one more thing, one more thing before we close out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we just reached 500 streams. We could not do without any of y'all, especially to the day one listeners, the loyal listeners out there. Shout out to y'all. Listen, just keep streaming our episode. Listen, we're gonna be there one day. We're gonna make it to 1,000 before the end of this year. I'm hoping by the end of this year. Let's see, let's see how things turn out. And yeah, back to you, Zach. My fault about that. Sorry for that little no, no, It's all good, it's all good. I appreciate everybody that listened to our show traditionally. Um, I really honestly love y'all, each and every one of y'all. Um, let's keep spreading the word. Like I'm saying, we don't do this for clout. We do this for our community and for our people. So I appreciate it. See you later, guys. Stay black. Yep.